if you played hockey in the 1980s, it's likely used this stick. It's a Sherwood PMP 530 hockey stick, and it was the most popular stick in Canada at the time. Made of 100% pure wood, it's practically unbreakable, and it sold for the reasonable price of $19.90. This was the first stick my dad bought for me, but it's not the stick I wanted. Because in 1980, Wayne Gretzky started his professional hockey career, and Wayne was the best player in the NHL, and he used a white Titan TMP Pro. This was the stick I wanted, because I wanted to score like Wayne, and it must be the stick. Problem is, it cost $29. I remember standing in Canadian Tire trying to convince my dad to spend the extra $10 so that we could upgrade to the Titan so that I could shoot like Wayne. A couple of years later, Gretzky signed a contract with the Easton Hockey Company, and he became the first player to use an aluminum hockey stick. And so once again, this was the stick I needed to have. Unfortunately, it sold for $40, seemingly outrageous. The only justification is the blades were interchangeable. So really, you could convince yourself it was an investment, and over the long term, it would actually save you money. It all seems like pocket change compared to what people spend on sticks these days. Now, whether you play hockey or not, the reason I mention the sticks is to point out that we imitate those we look up to. Our heroes and those we admire and respect influence how we dress, behave, and what we want to own. For you, it might have been a pair of Air Jordans, a Macintosh computer, a George Foreman grill, or any other number of uh, products endorsed by celebrities over the years. The advertising message of our computer com consumer culture is simple. Stuff will make you happy and successful, just like your hero. And the more stuff you have, the happier and more successful you will be, whether it's the car you drive, the place you live, the clothes you wear, or the things you own. For Christians, Jesus is our hero. He is the one we want to imitate. Jesus is not only our savior who provides eternal life through faith in him, he's also our teacher and our example who shows us how to live life to the full. So when we look at Jesus, what do we see? As you read through the gospels, we observe Jesus, Jesus full of peace and joy. He accomplishes all that God has for him in his day and in his life in ministry, all that was willed for him, and yet he never seems to be in a hurry. He walks to most places. He naps during a storm. He's pretty good at making friends with outsiders and at catching fish. And he doesn't get pulled into the pressures of the culture around him. He is content and free. And as followers of Jesus, not only do we want to obey what he taught, we also need to do what he did. The foundational point of our Cancel Chaos series is this. If you want the life of Jesus, you must practice the lifestyle of Jesus. Jesus provides us with an alternative way to the hurried, overscheduled, cluttered lifestyles most of us have. Over the past few weeks, we've looked at how Jesus practiced routinely entering into silence and solitude. Last week, we, we saw how Jesus understood and practiced the true heart of Sabbath rest. And today we come to what I think is one of the hardest practices for us to embrace, 
but it also might be the most valuable. As we seek to ruthlessly eliminate hurry, it's the practice of simplicity. In our sermon talking points that you can download off our website for each message, we define simplicity this way. It is stripping life back to what really matters most. Intentionally living with less in order to make space for more of what we value before God. But the pursuit of simplicity wars against what comes natural for most of us. Need proof? Just walk with a five-year-old through the toy section at Walmart and purchase nothing. We have developed lifestyles that are driven by consumption where, where getting more is associated with being more happy. Like the five-year-old in the toy section, we find ourselves saying, I want one of those and one of those and one of those. We want more and more and that desire permeates everything we do and think, how we live, what we value, who we idolize. It becomes a central driving force in our lives. We start to believe that we can't live without certain things. I need a phone. I need a newer phone. I need a car. I need a better car. I need clothes. I need certain clothes and newer clothes. And consumerism and the drive for more runs us ragged. Alan Fandling writes, the drive to possess is an engine for hurry. And there is this deep connection between consumerism and hurry. Our, in our, as a society, we are trapped in this whirlwind of more, more, more. And the only way to fill the void that we have is to consume more, work longer, start earlier, fill our schedule, and hurry, hurry, hurry through life. And pretty soon we build for ourselves lifestyles around maximizing our ability to get more stuff, better stuff, and bigger stuff. Our time and our resources are spent consuming, fixing, buying, upgrading, organizing, and then reorganizing our purchases. And it leads to more hours at work, more debt, and more stress so that you can afford a life you think you want. The grip of consumerism reaches into our core identity and ambitions for life. It's so ingrained in us that it even permeates our understanding of making it. Author Richard Foster writes, the modern hero is the poor boy who purposefully becomes rich rather than the rich boy who voluntarily becomes poor. Instead of applauding people for the way they serve or highlighting qualities of humility and simplicity, we are taught to covet things, to work until we are burned out and to continue to strive for more. Jesus lives so differently. As we observe him in the gospels, we see that Jesus was available because he didn't have anything to hold him back. He had no clutter in his life to get in the way of his ministry. And that's what it is at its core. Simplicity is about intentionally subtracting everything from your life that will distract you from your primary mission and calling. It's not just about owning less for the sake of owning less. It's about owning less so that you are unhindered. You just have the right amount so that you can live with purpose and freedom. It's about fleeing the spiritual dangers of materialism and embracing the gift of simplicity. So let me ask you, have you ever avoided hosting a group at your home because it was too cluttered? 
Have you found yourself turning down an invitation to have coffee with a friend in need because your schedule was overfilled? Have you found yourself wishing you could give financially more to the church or to your favorite charity or cause, but you couldn't because you were strapped down and busy paying down massive amounts of debt? Have you found yourself struggling with envy because somebody else has a little bit more than you do and it's so hard to be happy for them? then simplicity is a practice for you. It's really a practice for all of us because we can assume that our problems are unchangeable and we can resign ourselves to cluttered homes and busy lives and jealous hearts and unfulfilled relationships. But with grace and love, Jesus comes with a challenge and an invitation. I want you to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, and in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. His manifesto of how to live life in the kingdom of God, and, G- and Jesus zeroes right in on our stuff. Look at verse 19. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The invitation comes in verse 33, but seek, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Jesus has a lot to say about possessions. Just listen to some other pieces of his wisdom that flow from the Gospels. Here in Matthew chapter 6, he goes on to say, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about the body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Then in Mark chapter 10, we read, a certain rich man came to Jesus and asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, go sell all you have and come follow me. The rich man turned and walked away sadly because he had great wealth. In Luke 12, Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Finally, in Matthew 19, there is a startling warning that should challenge each of us. He says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And do you know who the rich are? It's you and me. But notice Jesus is not being legalistic about this. He doesn't say how big your television should be or how many pairs of shoes you can own or what make of car you should drive. He doesn't give specific rules about consumerism, wealth, and possessions. And we need to be careful too that we don't get into legalistic legalism and, and start p- picking on these kind of approaches and practices. Similar to what we talked about last week when we looked at the Sabbath. And we said we need to be careful about trying to define too specifically what qualifies as work and what doesn't. What kinds of things are appropriate to do during our time of Sabbath rest and what aren't. 
Simplicity falls into the same category. We must be on our guard about becoming legalistic about simplicity. And remember, Jesus is not calling money and wealth bad or material possessions evil. Money and possessions are good and useful and needed. But when they get a hold on your heart, that's when trouble comes. When we start to develop an attitude of entitlement, it's mine, I deserve it, or when that stuff becomes our primary focus and delight, warning lights should start going off. Jesus did not ask everyone who followed him to sell everything they owned, but he did ask them to make him the Lord over everything. Most of us go along with the, as long as you can afford it, it's fair game approach when it comes to stuff. And that's why Jesus' words and his lifestyle are so challenging to us. Because normally we don't give a thought to choosing to have less so that we can have more as an application of what it means to follow Jesus. Richard Foster says the majority of Christians have never wrestled with the problem of simplicity, conveniently ignoring Jesus' many words on the subject. The reason is simple. This discipline directly challenges our vested interests in an affluent lifestyle. Foster goes on to say, a carefree unconcern for possessions is what marks life in the kingdom. For Jesus, it's about keeping our stuff and our possessions in the proper perspective. His goal is to free us up from the grip of consumerism, not by giving us everything we want, but by teaching us the value of what really matters, what we were created for. Loving God and loving others. That's where abundant life is found. And that's why simplicity is essential if you want to be a follower of Jesus in a consumer-drenched world. Simplicity is an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. An inward transformation and conviction that results in living a life for Jesus where possessions, money, wealth are no longer the driving influence and dominant force. Jesus not only spoke about throwing off consumerism, he lived this way. He intentionally lived with less to make space for more of what God desired and valued. In Philippians chapter 2, we read that Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to use for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Paul writes, For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. The gospel story, the story of Jesus, our hero, the one whose life we are to imitate, is the story of the richest one of all becoming poor, laying aside all that was owed to him and was rightfully his, veiling his glory and being born to an unwed Jewish girl in a backwoods town, in a stable and being laid in a feeding trough. He grew up poor and simple a downward mobility a simplicity that's what you see when you look at the lifestyle of jesus in matthew 8 20 when when people come to him and say what 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 we want to follow you jesus can we what was what will that look like jesus says to them foxes have dens and birds have nests but the son of man has no place to lay his head he wasn't trying to get us to feel sorry for him he was teaching us how to live free 
and live for, for the kingdom first. Jesus knows that possessions and wealth will never fully satisfy. And if that if they become the focus of our life, we will miss out on the abundant life that he wants for us to experience. So part of ruthlessly eliminating hurry will be rooting out and fighting our cultural tendency towards consumption. So let's get practical. What might simplicity look like today? Now, I want to be really careful here. Remember, legalism is not the answer. We are different. Different backgrounds, different opportunities. Simplicity might look different for you than it does for me. So let's not compare and let's not judge. But what I want us to do is to take up the challenge on what this might look like. The best phrase I could come up with to help us think practically about simplicity in our world is this. Choose less when you could have more. Choose less when you could have more. Because I fear that too many of us have never been challenged by this call to simplicity. We simply let ourselves off the hook far too easily. But if you don't take seriously the lifestyle of Jesus, you will quickly be consumed by our consumeristic culture. Here are some suggestions. You might have some more creative ones and you might have some more radical ones, but challenge yourself in, in this area in ways that make sense for you, your family, and your situation. One, choose less in your wardrobe. Crazy thought, every hanger you own doesn't need to have a piece of clothing on it. Every drawer in your dresser doesn't need to have something in it. Years ago, a friend of mine gave me advice. She told me to take a, the, the little clips that come on the bread bag and the milk bag and, and to gather a bunch of those and then to put one of those on every single hanger in my closet that had a piece of clothing on it. And then when I took that shirt down or wore that pair of pants, I would just take off the clip and save it. Then after six months, she said, go into your closet and any hanger that still has a clip on it, take that piece of clothing down and give it away. Do a complete makeover of your wardrobe and whittle it down and edit it down to just the essentials. What would that be like to live with that kind of freedom? Two, choose less in your budget. If possible, look at your monthly bills, the payments that go out, and, and consider, is there anything there that you could eliminate or downsize? Now, obviously, I'm not talking about your mortgage or, or the electrical bill, but even there, is there places where you could save or you could choose to close some vents or turn off some lights more regularly? But what I'm th specifically thinking about is along the lines of memberships, subscriptions, and recurring bills that we start to believe our needs, like Netflix and Disney Plus and Amazon. Could any of them go? What else could be eliminated as you look at your budget? Here's another one. For one month, simply refuse to not impulse buy anything. Nothing that you had not already planned for and, and budgeted for. If you see something that you want, maybe even something that you need, simply make the decision not now and wait and be careful about it. I also would love for a month for you to, to decide not to splurge on yourself and to be careful how often that you do that. Three, choose less with your phone. John Mark Comer has some really great things to say about this. He suggests making your smartphone a dumb phone. 
He's basically talking about how our phones complicate our life. He suggests is disable all the notifications so that your phone is not constantly phoning you back. Imagine if you took your email and your social media off your phone or used them only during pre-scheduled times during your week. Would you be willing to delete any app that wasn't helping you become the person you wanted to be or that was causing you to waste a lot of time? Four, choose less with your calendar. This is about clearing the clutter out of your schedule. Do an audit. Where, where are you doing too much? Where are you wasting time on things that are not life-giving? Where are you just doing things out of a sense of obligation or guilt? What in your calendar needs to go? To do this, you will need to get past the fear of saying no. But realize that every time you say yes, you're actually already saying no to something else. And every time you, every commitment that you set is subtracting time from another commitment or activity that you might want to do. When we're too busy and frazzled, we often cease making practical, deliberate decisions about our time and other people start dictating what our calendar looks like. So reestablish the big rocks, the priorities in your life. Put them in your calendar first and then narrow your focus in on the activities that truly matter. If you're looking at some of these ideas and thinking, this just seems too hard. I mean, not my phone. Or that would never work for me. Then I challenge you to get creative and come up with your own ideas. Prayerfully with God, challenge yourself. It isn't easy. Because if it was too easy, you aren't going to make any progress. Jesus said, unless you are willing to take up your cross and follow him, you can't be his disciple. Dallas Willard has a great line. He says, the cost of discipleship is high. But the cost of non-discipleship is even higher. Yes, it will cost you to follow Jesus in the way of simplicity in a consumeristic culture. But it will cost you far more not to. So let's embrace the practice of simplicity and strip life back to what really matters most. Intentionally living with less in order to make space for more of what we value before God. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for being our Savior and for showing us the way to a life that is free and light. Free us from the grip of greed and the continuous desire for more. Realign our priorities and help us to obey your teaching and imitate your life. Guard us from getting sucked in by by comparison and taken down by envy. May you be our hero and our example. Put within us a desire to obey your teaching and to follow your lifestyle. Show us how to strip back life to what really matters most, intentionally living with less in order to make space for more of what you value. And above all else, may we desire and pursue you in all of life, first and foremost. Give us Jesus. Amen. I found this week reading about simplicity and thinking about it and studying it very convicting because I like stuff and I have too much of it. 
and you probably do too. I find security and comfort and identity in my stuff far more than I would like to admit. And I know that my stuff gets in my way of my relationship with God and with others and with my family. But if you begin to pay close attention to what Jesus says about our stuff and our possessions and our money, you'll realize that this is where some of his most radical teachings are. Jesus says a person's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. That is literally the exact opposite message that we hear in our consumer culture every day. And so we have to decide what message are we going to believe? We wanted to finish the service as we've done each week by giving you one more practical application for simplicity that comes right out of the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It is so simple that a child could do it, but I'm telling you, it'll be challenging for us at any age. It requires you to get four baskets, boxes, or bags, and then just pick a spot in your house. Most most of us will naturally think of picking the bedroom because that's where we have a lot of extra stuff, but that actually may be one of the hardest places to start. You may want to start somewhere else that's less sentimental, like the bathroom or the linen closet or the garage, or maybe just that drawer, that junk drawer that has broken sunglasses and phone chargers and and pencils and scrap papers. Then as you get better at this, you can move around to other places like the living room and then maybe finish up in the bedroom or the kitchen, which are probably the hardest places. Put on some music and have some fun with this exercise. Just go to your spot and get your four baskets ready. And then here's what I want you to do. Pull out all the stuff. If it's a closet, if it's a drawer, if it's a room, pull everything out and put it on the floor. Then begin to divide it up and place it in one of the four baskets. The first basket is the giveaway or sell basket. This is the basket that you use for that item in your closet or in your room or in your wardrobe that you value. But you don't need it anymore and you don't use it. So you make the decision to give it away to a friend, to someone in need, to a family member, or just do a front porch pickup. If it's something you want to make a little money from, if that would help you, then, then, then sell it on Marketplace or Kijiji. But just remember that the things that go into this basket need to find a new home. The second basket is the throwaway or recycle basket. This is the basket for the things you just need to get rid of. This, there is, this basket is full of things that contain nostalgia, but anyone else cleaning out your room would just chuck this stuff in the garbage or in the blue bin, so you need to be ruthless about it. This basket is especially needed to get rid of papers, old reports, notes, cards, things from college, magazines, just paper clutter. If you want to keep it, if it's something that's really important to you, you might want to consider scanning it and making a digital copy of it. But clean the stuff out. Put it in here and send it to the curb. It doesn't come back. The third basket is the keep basket. And I like the keep basket, and you probably do too. This is the one where you put the things that you you actually need and use right now. Practical things. Things that bring you delight. Things that draw you closer to God. But be honest about what needs to go in the keep basket. 
are there, are there things in that basket that, that really need to be there? As you begin to sort out the different baskets, you will start to feel a sense of freedom and delight coming over you. The weight is going to get lifted. The final basket is the most important. It is the weight basket. This is the one for, that you use for the things that you discover that you want to hold on to, but you actually don't have a use for right now. Maybe it's something that you have an emotional attachment to and you, and you start to realize that there's sentiment around this and you want to hold on to it. If your experience is anything like mine, you'll be going through your items the first time and you'll come across that shirt that you love and you're not prepared to throw it out right now or give it away. So put it in the weight pile for now. Or maybe there's a pair of shoes that you really don't wear, but you spent a lot of money on them so you feel bad about giving them away. So put it in there. The gift from mom, that thing you were holding on to for some day. Just put it in there. And then what I want you to do is when the, when the weight basket is full, take it and put it somewhere out of sight. Maybe in a closet, maybe in the garage. And then here's what happens. Make a commitment. Say, I'm not going to go in, uh, into it for six months. Or maybe it's a quarter. But leave it there for a while. And if during that time, all of a sudden, that item comes to mind and you think, oh, I need that jacket. Oh my goodness, I really want my bike out again. I, I really could use that. I never thought I would, but I want to use it now. Then you go to the weight basket and you pull it out and you start to enjoy it again. It moves to the keep basket for now. But here's what I imagine will likely happen to the stuff you put in the weight basket. You won't even give it a second thought. You won't even think about it until you reopen it six months from now. And by then, it's going to be easier to put into the giveaway or the throwout pile. Now, you might have to go through this exercise three or four times a year until you get really good at it, and it ends with the result that you want. But here's my challenge for you. Pick one spot in your, in your home or in your life this week and do this exercise. In Matthew 11, Jesus invites us to discover the unforced rhythms of grace. He says, keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. That's what this series is all about, following Jesus and learning to live as he did. 2,000 years ago, Jesus started a community of followers who decided that he was their Lord and their master. And they chose to take up not only his teachings, but his lifestyle. And that's what we're seeking to do today. And if you want a life with Jesus that is filled with contentment and rest and joy and peace, a life that is free from hurry sickness, then not only do you need to believe in Jesus and have faith in him, but you need to follow him. Let's do that together and embrace the simplicity and the simple faith that Jesus calls us to. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for this, this timely reminder in our lives that so often our stuff gets in the way of our relationship with you. And so this week, would you help us to simplify? Would you help us to declutter? And would it be far more than just a spring cleaning? I pray, Lord, that it would be an ongoing lifestyle in our heart where we live lightly and freely in the rhythms of grace you provide and that, that you make possible for us. So we love you. We declare that you are our Lord and Master. 
and we follow you into this week. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.